Hey, it's a rainy day over here at the office, and uh, I've been getting fan mail. Um, of course, for several weeks, I've been getting stuff on email at plainspokenpod at gmail.com, and I always very much appreciate that, and I still, you know, if you if you ever want to shoot me a line, you're very welcome to, to send me that there, um, especially if you have information that uh, would be interesting to share with others. Please go ahead and email that to me. But several people um, at this point have been touched by what I'm doing and have reached out and sent me letters. I got letters here, and uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to try and get permission to to discuss more of these, I'm, I'm going to discuss this first one and just not give any details about who they are. But um, there are some things brought up in these letters that uh, I, I assume other people wonder about and would be good to address. So this one is from a retired clergy. Um, he says, Howdy, Jeff. I'm a retired UMC pastor living in another conference, and I'm getting more and more curious. I discovered your program slash podcast a week ago, and I've been watching it every night. Good work. Very interesting. I promise I did not write this myself. I really did get this. As a retired pastor, I'm fascinated by what you're able to do there in Nowata, and I'm wondering how you're getting away with it under the nose of your DS and the bishop. Are they okay with it? You're exposing lots of good stuff and boldly. Are you able to do this stuff right there in your church office? Can you still get your pastoring done? If you're getting all this done, I'm so proud of you. Keep up the good work, and then he signs it. Um, so thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the affirmations. I I feel generally pretty good about what I'm doing. I obviously am not a person who scripts things, so some of my stuff goes over better than others. I have some better days than others. I've been getting some critiques on my interview with Reverend Drew Enns. Um, it went long, and I talked a lot. And um, not every interview is like that. I do have another interview coming up where I talk a lot. Um, the interview this Saturday with Jason Sutphin, you'll see I'm completely different, and I don't talk nearly as much. Um, so that just, it is what it is. Um, but I feel good about the project that, that we've been doing. I feel good about the level of response and engagement we've gotten um, and of course, not everything has been positive, but I mean, that's to be anticipated. And I mean, when you're a pastor, not everything you do with good intentions in the local church is received positively. So I've, I've been prepared well for this. Um, but he asked a couple questions in that that I think if I were someone else, I would wonder about. And so the first question was, how am I getting away with it? What do my bishop and DS have to say about it? Now, I should acknowledge that this coming Saturday... I will not be under the authority of a bishop or superintendent anymore. The The sixth is the finalized date for disaffiliations in the Oklahoma Annual Conference, which were ratified a couple Saturdays ago. We've completed all of our paperwork, paid all the funds, so I'm not under their authority anymore. But up until now, I have been, and how have I gotten away with it? Well, the short answer is I haven't. I was summoned to the bishop's office once. Uh, he told me to bring my credentials um, and I was I was in trouble for a segment I filmed with another clergy on our conference finances, where I argued that if they don't report them transparently, then that engenders suspicion. And so um, that was interpreted as a personal attack on conference staff, and I had to go through a process where I tried to make amends. But I was able to to keep my credentials and my appointment here. And after that, I kept doing what I was doing, 
and I got zero pushback from the conference. And um, I cannot speak with clarity as to why that is. Um, I've thought of like good 20 theories, maybe. Um, my parents are retired clergy in this conference, and maybe put a bad taste in somebody's mouth if I was gone. I kind of don't think that's it. Um, you know, the, the conference has been going through uh, disaffiliation stuff with dozens of churches that are much bigger and richer and more consequential than mine, and so maybe they don't even know about what I'm doing. Um, after I got in trouble, I stopped talking about my conference, and maybe they were okay with me doing this as long as I was not talking about my conference. Um, I think some people might suspect, uh, supposedly, Bishop Nunn is conservative, and maybe he was sympathetic to what I was doing. I, I, see, I saw no evidence of that. Um, from what I can tell, Bishop Nunn, uh, his, his, his only priority is doing what's good for the institution, not what's good for an ideology. Um, and so I, I would be of the mind that, that the two were synonymous, but I don't think Bishop Nunn would. Um, and I, when I, to be clear, I, I think the more that leftism and liberalism makes a home within the United Methodist Church, the worse that is for the institution. So I think it, um, you know, and I may be wrong, but I don't think I am, that um, continuing to allow things to go on the track they are as a denomination is going to seal its demise. Um, so as I've lifted up a conservative voice, it's not that I'm a bigot that wants to advance my ideology. It's more that I think conservatism builds, maintains, enriches, and I think liberalism tears down, decreases, waters down. Um, so I, I don't think Bishop Nunn agrees with me on that. I don't think my DS agreed with me on that. I don't think he even uh, pretends to lean right. But I'll tell you, he was really fair to me. Uh, I, I'll tell you that um, as he oversaw me and my churches going through this disaffiliation process. I never once got the hint that he was um, gunning for me or trying to, to run me down or be more difficult than need be. Uh, in fact, at a lot of turns, I'm pretty sure he, he could have been a lot harder on me and my churches than he was. There were only two things ever that he said that I really didn't like very much, and that's really quite exceptional. So, um, you know, coming out on the other side of this, I really think a lot of my DS, Terry. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know why the bishop didn't just summarily fire me. I, I knew that that was a risk all the way along. I was a local licensed pastor. Um, but I, I wanted to model the kind of boldness that I think that conservatives in general need to show, which is I care more about the faith and my personal integrity than I do about a paycheck um, or job security or comfort, you know. And I think so often, I've been really disappointed in conservative leadership because they just want to keep their head down and get along so that they don't get the hammer down, brought down on them. And so the institution gets to do this thing where every now and again they bring the hammer down on some poor local licensed pastor somewhere, and that just keeps the rest of them in line. I think that only works whenever you have um, generally conflict-averse kind of cowardly people. Um, and I think we need public, visible vocal examples of people willing to stick their neck out and risk their well-being for it. And so, you know, my wife was behind me. She said, uh, you know, she and I knew that there was a chance that we'd get kicked out of the parsonage and that we'd lose our appointment. And uh, that was, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've got to be a man that feels like I, uh, to some degree, 
can ask the authority and respect that uh, a pastor needs to have from his congregation. And I need to believe that my wife um, sees me as a real man. And so that means that I've got to be willing to get hurt uh, for my convictions and stand on principle. And, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, clergy that I look at, and I wonder how it is that they do justify not being bolder, not not speaking out more clearly. You know, if we didn't have this Bible thing, I guess I could understand it, but so many examples in the New Testament in particular are people not just willing to forego a paycheck, but to be poor, uh, to be hated, to be killed for the faith. And for some reason, it it's inappropriate or uh, exceptional for the vast majority of clergy to behave in that way. I just think we're, even conservatives, we're revealing that we're so far gone from the biblical vision of what a faithful Christian witness looks like. So um, I know I, I stand in a place of privilege as I say that now. I, I seem to have gotten out without the hammer being brought down on me. But the only reason I can say these things is because I was at least willing to risk it. There, you know, I'm, I'm putting out an interview with another guy in my conference who the hammer did get brought down on, Neil Stevenson. Um, there are people who get hurt for this, but there are a lot of other people that can and should be bold, and they're not going to get hurt. And then, you know, if you didn't see my last bitter medicine, I think that larger, richer churches could and should put together a fund that actually helps provide for pastors that lose their jobs for being bold in the midst of this. That's the sort of thing that should have come about through Methodist connectionalism, you know. So there's so many ways in which I'm really concerned about the future of Methodism because the people leading it generally seem to be the same conflict-averse people concerned with um, security rather than boldness and faithfulness, as as at least I understand it and as I, I'm pretty sure the New Testament volunteers. Now, the second part of this letter was um, how am I doing it while being a pastor, doing my other pastor duties? I got two small churches that I'm supposed to serve. They're paying me a full-time wage. How am I doing it? And um, the short answer is I'm not doing for my churches what a lot of pastors do. You know, there are some pastors that spend 20 hours a week, 10 hours a week trying to craft a sermon that's going to hit their people in just the right way. I don't do that. I don't believe that sermons save people. I I am not under the impression that we're going to have some lost person who I'm going to save with my message. My understanding is that the saints are gathering, and it's my job to encourage them to model biblical uh, hermeneutic going through life. And so I don't do any prep. We just look at the Revised Common Lectionary. I read through it, give a plain meaning of the text. That's sufficient. I don't get fancy. I don't need to pull out Greek and Hebrew. We're, we're just trying to get a basic sense of the text and uh, an ethos for Christian life. It doesn't take any prep. There are a lot of pastors who fill their churches with um, what I would consider to be tertiary programs, things that don't directly have much to do with Jesus, things that don't bear much fruit. I don't participate in a theology of sowing seeds. You know, this is a theology that you find in a huge number of churches that aren't bearing fruit. They're just doing lots of work, and then they're going, well, we're sowing seeds. You know, we'll see the fruit of this somewhere down the line. And I don't really believe in that. I believe that it's the Holy Spirit that causes people and programs to bear fruit, and if they're not readily transforming lives. Churches really shouldn't be doing them. 
um, the the bare bones of my churches are Sunday morning worship and then midweek disciple account accountability discipleship groups. We are facilitating men's and women's groups that are something between a class and a band, uh, where we are seeing people really genuinely engaging their faith and loving one another as Christ loved us. Not perfectly, of course, but uh, that's what we're driving at. That's what is the heartbeat of the church, and so I'm. I'm of the mind that that a lot of these other kind of social club things that churches do really are not what Christ died for, that really he wants us watching over one another in love, uh, fleeing from the wrath to come, studying God's word, worshiping together, eating and praying together. That's what we're doing, you know, so, but that doesn't require 40 hours a week. So I get to spend my time doing whatever I want, and I used to go to the jail, and I used to go to the school. And I, I started getting, um, I read The Patient Ferment of the Early Church uh, by Paul Krieger, I think his name is. And I've just gotten increasingly clear that our framework for understanding evangelism within a, the United Methodist Church is just wrong, you know, that, that our posture towards the world outside is not effective, that as we're saying, mission, mission, evangelism, that people are falling away from us. And I think that's because uh, we're trying to major in the minors. We're, we're, we're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're seeking all these other things. And so I, I think churches need to focus on the heart of the thing, which is making authentic disciples whose lives are transformed, who bear a strong family resemblance to Jesus. And then if we do that well, then there are things that will naturally come out of that that engage people around us, and they come into the, the family of faith. And we are seeing that. Um, I'm not going to say we're exploding, uh, but I, I don't think I want to explode. I think just slow, gradual growth, connection, that's that's what I'm about. Um, something else I would say is um, as much time as I'm putting into this, plain spoken, and it has been a lot of time and energy, uh, the number one thing that I'm called to be uh, beyond a, just a child of God and a, a good uh, adopted child of my father is a good husband and father. Um, if you've read the scriptures, you know that a, an elder, a pastor, gains his authority by how he runs his own household. And so I uh, have to minister to my wife and my kids daily, and I'm with them frequently. So that's the first priority. And then insofar as my wife is uh, fulfilled, insofar as my children are doing well, that's what gives me legitimacy to have authority in the household of God and then to govern my own conduct as I see fit. And then my church boards have been happy for me to focus on the larger picture through plain spoken uh, out of hopes that I could navigate them effectively out of the denomination, which has happened now. But also they, I think to some degree, share in my vision for a future Methodism that is robust and strong and that needs healthy commentary and critique in the meantime. I think uh, you know, surely there are some people in my churches that are not very impressed with what I'm doing, but they're just not complaining. They're not complainers. We don't have complaining people. They don't have anything else that they're wanting to ask me to do. Uh, we are continuing to advance things on the ground here. I won't bore you with minutia. But, um, you know, I. Uh, the only other thing I would say is I, I think it's wrong for pastors to spend, well, I would say it's wrong for Christians to spend a lot of time with entertainments and diversions and uh, wasting time. You know, John Wesley was known for finding Methodists playing cards and then cutting up their cards, you know. Uh, when you serve the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven and earth, you know, life is 
misspent by just sitting around and having fun. You know, we we have a transformed life to live. And so I just don't waste a lot. I'm not going to say I don't waste any of my time, um, but I am going to say that having watched a lot of just normal people, it's very normal for people to just spend hours and hours on their phones or watching TV or going on trips. Uh, we don't do that. Um, we, we spend our time uh, reading the Bible, having holy conversations, singing and praising God, and it's great. I love my life. Um, but I, I think a lot of people would look at my productivity and go, how does he do it? Well, I just don't waste a lot of my time. I'm, I'm either being a good husband and father, I'm, I'm, I'm leading things in the church, or I'm doing stuff here, and it's a great way of life, and I love it. So um, anyway, I don't know how much that answers all the questions. Um, a lot of me being able to do what I do is just luck. Um, I have a very privileged, easy life compared to many pastors, but uh, that's also because um, I haven't been as conflict-averse as pastors. I'm not looking for conflict, but whenever it comes, I, I handle it so that I can live li- a life of peace, and I'm not just kicking things down the road and dealing with dysfunction that rears its head every now and again. A lot of the anxieties that other pastors deal with continually, I just nipped in the bud a couple years in, and then they didn't kick me out, and so now we have a peaceable church here, and uh, I am most blessed. I, you know, It's not just because of me. I believe God has directly chosen to bless me. I don't know why but I'm very glad that out of my privilege I can spend my time doing this, and uh, I really hope it has been encouragement to a lot of people. I hope you don't feel alone as you're navigating these waters. I hope, I don't know, I I hope that this leads in some part to uh, a reclaiming of Methodist identity and a knowledge of what that means and a a pride of what it has to offer. I hope that, that as you listen to me, you're reclaiming uh, Christian accountability. I hope you're helping your churches to to focus on the main thing, and um, that you're just gaining confidence that that you're not on the wrong side of history, that you're not some ignoramus, uh, but that that uh, you're a part of something good and worth preserving. So, anyway, um, let me know your thoughts on this segment if you think it's helpful. I, I think I would like to do some more fan mail things. Um, and uh, I didn't say it at the beginning, but y- you can send me stuff in print if that's how you like to communicate. Um, these people just looked me up online and found the address of my church. Uh, it's 109 West Shawnee Avenue, uh, Nowata, Oklahoma, 74048, I think. So you're welcome to send me stuff, but um, much more importantly, just pray for your church. Encourage your pastor to be bold. If you are a pastor, be bold. Watch the interview I, I'm releasing with Justin, uh, Jason Sutfin this Saturday. That's a bold guy. Um, anyway, God bless you. Thanks for supporting Plain Spoken. I'll see you later.